Foodie Films is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. there foodies and welcome back to another episode of foodie films of course this is your host your chef de cinema cuisine kyle reinfried what's going on what's happening how are you foodies we got a great one for you today well in my unbiased opinion they're all great i love i love having this show i love talking foodie films i love talking with you foodies you chefs you influencers you restaurateurs entrepreneurs Thank you for sharing your stories, and thank you for you foodies listening. It really it really means a lot. Today, my first cut guest is winemaker, co-owner, co-founder of Las Haras, Joel Burt. You might know his partner in crime, Eric Wareheim. I did not mean to rhyme. That sounds like I'm getting into weird Dr. Seuss territory. Anyway... Eric Wareheim of Tim and Eric Awesome Show, Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories, all those awesome shows on Adult Swim. And this wine, Las Haras, kind of all stemmed. It stemmed from their Joel and Eric's friendship, but it's just awesome that it stemmed from this silly, hilarious sketch, Sweetberry Wine, Free Wine, with Dr. Steve Brule. That is my horrible... Dr. Steve Brule impression brought to life by the impeccable, the just amazing John C. Riley. And so, first a sketch, and you're, you're going to hear the story, but I got to meet Joel a few years ago at a wine tasting event, and so th- this has been a long time coming. Well, at least in my mind, at the time I was just like, wow, he would be a great guest, and he's West Coast. I'm East Coast, so I was like, man, how am I going to get out there and talk with him? And then through quarantine and recording more remote episodes, I figured why not reach out to him? So he was kind enough to oblige to come on to Foodie Films. So here I go, talking with Joel Burt, talking Las Aras, hearing his story, and uh, I learn a little bit more about wine. So I'm more cultured now. Thank you, Joel. Well, free wine. Here we go. Sorry for the horrible impression again with Joel Burt. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining me on Foodie Films. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, for the foodies out there, why don't you give us your, your name and what you're doing in the food and drink world? My name is Joel Burt. I'm, uh, I started a wine label with uh, Eric Weirheim called Las Haras Wines, and we specialize in making wines that are um that are delicious and fun to drink and um <laughs> gosh <laughs> and I, I guess that's about it <laughs> those are those are the number one things that we that we go for but having them be fun and easy to drink doesn't mean that they're not um complex and very serious they're very serious wines and um we are so excited about how um how our wines have been showing in in the world and um it's been it's been a lot of fun i'm gonna start you off with a hard-hitting question how many times do people say yaris or jaras <laughs> it's uh <laughs> it's been quite a bit but people are starting to catch on which is good um that's one of the things like when we started this wine label it mm-hmm. took us a while to try to find a name 
that we liked, and the name was a, is a little bit difficult because nobody could pronounce it. But maybe that's part of the je ne sais quoi of the brand. <laughs> I like it. And what was <laughs> the origin of the name? What made you go with that? So the um, got the uh, I got the name Los Harris from the game Loteria, which is a Mexican bingo game. And it's also can be used as tarot. But uh, the way I learned about um, about Loteria is my family, uh, they have uh, table grape vineyards that I used to work at when I was a kid. And in some of the worker housing, they had left this left um, Loteria behind. And I, I saw these like little images and things, and they, they look really cool and really iconic. And uh, later on, when um, we were thinking about a name um, for this for our wine, we had wanted something that was classic California, maybe Native American, mm-hmm. and uh, we couldn't find a, a word that really resonated with us. But um, when we came down to Lotteria, um, I, I was looking at that because I had I had kept um, Lotteria with my stuff from when I was a kid and just always thought that it would be a cool like band names or something like that. And like, you know, the, uh, a wine brand is kind of like a punk rock band. <laughs> to Eric and I. <laughs> so, so yeah, so there it is. Um, so I went through and, and some of them have like different meanings and things. And, um, and the one for, uh, for Las Aras is it's, so it's just two arrows with a bow and um, it means um, tightly bound. And kind of the idea is that um, these um, arrows would be in flight if there wasn't a bow there. So when we depict the arrows, we do it without a bow because our ah. wines are full of energy and they're, they're in release. They're in flight. I like that. Yeah. That's awesome. I've, I have many of your corks. <laughs> <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm sure um, a lot of people found you guys out because of Sweetberry wine and just exactly. all the articles that came with that because of Tim and Eric show and John C. Riley and that, like that fantastic sketch. And then I started following you guys and I saw you were doing, it was just a little two years ago, you're in New York and I went to a tasting at Verve wine. And I think it's mm-hmm. like Tribeca it's right around the Holland. Tunnel. Yeah. And, uh, it was awesome because you guys were, you know, like, I mean, there was, you know, there was a decent line, but you guys took the time to explain what we were tasting there and just have, you know, have a conversation with all those attending. And then I even, after that, it was me and a friend there. And at the time, actually my girlfriend and I just moved in together at the time we were only dating for a few months. And she then met like one of my best friends at that, uh, at that tasting. Cause we went to, then it's called the, the 10 bells. You guys did a little mm-hmm. tasting there afterwards. Yeah. And so it just already your wine, like has a special memory and connection for me. And I just, that was a really, that was a really fun day. Uh, you guys seem to do a lot of cool events like that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I learned a lot of that from Eric because I used to be a corporate winemaker and, um, in corporate wine, uh, basically the, marketing people that put those together have no clue about what's cool and what's Mm. not. And so they will, they will have an event in some really ugly looking place or some banquet style place or something with a nice view or something. And they'll stack it full of like waiters and stuff, bringing crap around. They have you wearing a suit or something. And, uh, then, um, they'll have some like cheesy jazz band playing in the corner and then they'll have like tons of photographers milling about and, and press. And Eric's like, so on planning this event, he's like, press, press people are boring. We can have a maximum of three and we don't want them um, to be milling around too much. So they only have this period of time to come around and ask questions. I'm like, yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> no <laughs> photographers. And, <laughs> And uh, we get to uh, pick the music, um, like some Italo or something like that. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 a lot it's a lot different, and that's um, it's really a, a different way of um, we have a different approach to wine, um, mm-hmm. and that's just one of the ways we try to make it really casual, 
and but like but totally serious and totally intentional at the same time. What is your journey with wine? I mean, I read a little bit about you just in you know via different interviews, but just where did you grow mm-hmm. up? I mean, what were you eating even when you're growing up, and when when did your journey in the, into wine begin? So I grew up in the Central Valley in California. My um, half of my family is Greek, and there's a big Greek community there. So I grew up with a lot of Greek food. Oh, nice! And my mom was a good cook, and uh, I always was uh, interested in the kitchen. And um, so when I was growing up, I would spend the summers working in my um, uncle's and grandfather's uh, organic table grape vineyards in um, the Central Valley and in um, Arizona. And um, I, I was really interested in agriculture, but um, as I was growing up, I was like, I don't really want to live in the middle of nowhere because, um, <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was a little bit, uh, I wasn't like uh, your, your normal farm boy or anything like that. Uh-huh. I had long hair and I took LSD and <laughs> <laughs> so... I mean, a lot of people go to the middle of nowhere in the desert and all exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I decided that I would um, um, pursue um, um, culinary arts. So I just kind of worked in kitchens and things and then decided to um, – I, I was thinking about going to um, culinary school or something like that, but then mm-hmm. – but my mom kind of talked me out of it. And so instead, I just went to junior college and took all my core classes. And then I was um, I was cooking. I made my way up to like a sous chef in like a catering outfit. And then decided to, you know, I, I could, you know, the kitchen is very task oriented and you just have tasks to do and they never end. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's great um, for keeping you busy. But um I was thinking that, you know, I could end up spending 40 years in this kitchen if I don't, <laughs> if I don't get out of here um, and, and, um, and pursue broader goals. So I decided to just uh, make, a, make a break and go finish college and go, go work in the vineyards. So then I went and toured uh, Fresno State University, the viticulture program, and found that there were no actual viticulture students there there was only like two in the class oh wow in fresno right right there yeah and everybody was in the winemaking class so i met like a whole bunch of people that were going to be winemakers i'm like you know i really felt like i'm i'm i met my tribe of people that were into um into flavor and into agriculture and and into all that stuff so i decided to make a change so I went and learned as much as I could about wine, did a crush, became, um, I was working at Whole Foods in Berkeley at the time and became the wine buyer there and um, read everything I could, took some classes at um, Santa Rosa JC and viticulture and wine tasting and all that. And then went to Fresno and studied there for three years. And then when I got out, I, work, I worked in um, Napa Valley in Sonoma ever since, working um, uh, first at Mandavi, I was really into. Uh, I was really mentored early on from uh, David Lucas from Lucas Winery mm-hmm. in Lodi. My first crush. He was really. He did a Zinfandel that was under fourteen percent alcohol, and wanted to make wines that were really balanced and elegant. And he drank old Bordeaux, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, and uh, he came from. He used to be. Uh, um, in charge of vineyards at Mandavi. And so he got me in at Mandavi. And Mandavi at that time, to that time, had been trying to make wines of balance that weren't over 14% alcohol. Mm-hmm. And they had gotten slammed by Robert Parker. So when I got there, um, Tim Mandavi was placed on leave and J- Michel Roland was consulting and all their wines were getting super ripe. But it was a good experience. Um, and I worked uh, for winemakers that make huge alcoholic reds and i spent two years trying to fix stuck fermentations from these winemakers who pick at 30 bricks and wow <laughs> then i uh, went to work for mandavi i'm oh, sorry for uh for um saintsbury and then that's where i fell in love with pinot noir and lighter reds in general and so i've been kind of on that track ever since 
I got stuck in corporate wine for 10 years. I was um, a winemaker making wines for three different brands for for Newton Vineyard and Chandon and um, finally made the break. I, I, I started Las Aras uh, concurrently and uh, made the break two years ago. And so now I'm just focusing on Las Aras, which is great. Uh, how did you and Eric first meet? Were you guys just diving into like wine and food right from the get-go? Uh, yeah, we so we have um, mutual friends. We actually have a couple sets of mutual friends. And um, we had never met, but um, when we had met, we were kind of from the same tribe. And, and um, um, I'm really choosy about who I spend my time with, and, and he is too. So... Um, we, we have a pretty good crew of friends. And so then when we met each other, it was, we really hit it off, but mm-hmm. he was, uh, he's a big foodie and he was getting into wine. And, uh, this was like 12 years ago. Uh, LA wine scene was a lot different back then. It was a lot of people like drink cocktails with dinner. If you can imagine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, so um i was i was showing him things i was into and at that time i was going through a mental reset because uh when you study winemaking and you're working professionally in wine all you do is complain about wine and talk about flaws in the wines yeah so i i at the time i was getting reacquainted with uh wine appreciation i was doing the wsct diploma and i was drinking lots of natural wine from the first wave of um natural wine in like san francisco around uh 2005 uh or 2006 ish and um and yeah so it's great because i haven't been jaded like i used to be which is nice i'm still still really in in enjoying wine and, and trying to see the um positive attributes of all the wines i taste and i mean a lot of the wine i drink ends up down the drain but still <laughs> for the most part i have rosy outlook on on on, uh, on wine just from from your instagram his i mean his i've been following for a long time and i remember i went to thailand oh boy that was uh a little over three years ago and he was there like right before me mm-hmm. and pretty much i used his like instagram as like a tool of like what eateries what restaurants to go to and it and it definitely didn't disappoint but i love your instagram his i mean las aras it just seems like you guys are having so much fun and just i mean correct me if i'm wrong kind of pushing the boundaries of just what I don't know what I, I, I enjoy wine. I always used to say when, when, before I drank wine, it was an acquired taste, which I had not acquired yet. Mm-hmm. I've now acquired the taste, but I really still don't know a lot about it. So I think for people like me or maybe even some winemakers out there, it just seems like you guys are doing some fun, creative stuff. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's what we're all about. And we want wine to be fun and uncomplicated, but we're we're at a point where it's really interesting in the wine scene where it seems like a lot of winemakers are trying to make wines that are i don't know cerebral uh challenging mm-hmm. um that's not what we're about we we want to make wines that are delicious so you won't you won't see us do a 90 day uh extended maceration orange wine or something like that because I just don't see why that would make a wine that's delicious. <laughs> uh, our wines can definitely age. And so there's a couple of parts of the, our style of winemaking. First of all, we, um, we try to make wines that are clean, that don't have faults, mm-hmm. um, with as minimal inputs as possible. And um, we use varieties that will get us to our our goal of the types of wines we want to make the the profile so we typically don't like to use fruit that has a green character okay um or is too animal or or too high ph so we don't work with syrah for example we don't work with uh grenache um we don't we don't use really any of the big reds we do make a cabernet but it drinks really lightly um because it's a cool climate um, Cabernet. We um, we also have a very light touch with all of our wines because we want them to be very supple and light. We also really protect them from oxygen. 
so they can age a long time and not fall apart. Okay. Um, and the, we the we all we also shoot for a low pH on the wine, so that they have a lot of what, what they call redox potential, which means that they can handle oxygen without um, falling apart. And also, we try really hard to make sure that everything gets as dry as possible. And if it doesn't get as dry as we want, we blend them out into a bigger blend or something. And that's one of the big problems with naturally fermented wines is a lot of them are just kind of sweet. And um, we want our wines to all be like, all be bone dry. Back in, um, when I went to Verve, I mean, I purchased, I think like at least like, I don't know, like a dozen bottles at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I remember I got like one, you know, we were allowed to get one Cabernet, I believe. And mm -hmm. then I got you know, like th three of the Rosés. Those were the, uh, uh, I think the 2016s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, first vintage. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and sweet berry. And now, I mean, now I'm part of the, the wine, uh, wine club that you guys got going on. Mm -hmm. and I got, yeah. I got the, the spring with the rosés and the super bloom and the, uh, forgive me, is it glau glau or glue glue? Glue glue. Glue glue. Okay. Yeah. And that is, I, that, that might be my favorite. My, I have a friend. The glue that, glue? Yeah. I, I have yeah. a friend that, uh, makes pizza. Like he's got an oven in his backyard and I see you posting about pizzas and we're sure definitely going to talk about some Detroit style in a minute, but, um, that accompanying just some fresh pizza is it's, it's awesome. And I, and I brought a, a couple bottles to my friends and they tried it and they're like, this is all we want to drink with this from now on. <laughs> yeah. So glue glue to us is, is, um, really, uh, one aspect of what we're about. So we, we basically have two different types of wines. We have our real terroir driven single vineyard, single variety wines that are labeled, by the way, um, very generically, because um, I don't like a lot of, we like our labels to be very minimal without a lot of information. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the other aspect of our wines is our blended wine. So um, Glue Glue is really meant to be a delicious red wine that you can chill and you can chug from the bottle. And it's very soft, very supple, and uh, really the magic behind this wine is that it's 27 or so different lots all put together. Oh, and wow. So, it's, so during, we, we make all of our wines as uh, small lot fermentations. And um, what we do is we, I try to make every single tank taste as good as it can. Mm -hmm. And then I end up with all these little lots. And then um, I'll do a blend right after harvest of some of the lighter stuff so it doesn't fall apart and then um uh make the rest of that blend in the spring right before bottling or like a late winter right before bottling and uh it's really fun to watch it come together because you'll have like all these disparate pieces and when they when they all um shimmy together they make this really coherent cohesive blend that's very soft and delicious and um and it's it's super fun and uh, sweetberry wine is kind of is very similar wine, but it's just more serious. It's yeah. all the, the bigger wines, and it's it's so the so glue glue is is uh, fifty percent tank, fifty percent barrel, and um, sweetberry wine is hundred percent barrel, and uh, and aged for almost a year. Oh wow! So, or like yeah, so ten and a half months. Do you guys, do you grow your own grapes or are you? We don't. So like the way we built this business. So, mm -hmm. so the way you, so the way you start a winery is you start with $10 million. Okay. <laughs> or, or, or you do it on the cheap and you just, you just buy grapes and lease space in a winery and, um, uh, roll all of the, um, the profit into the next year and make more wine and more wine and more wine. So the way we started was we started with a hundred cases, then 750 cases, mm -hmm. then 3,600 cases, <laughs> and then <laughs> 10,000 cases. So that's the way we, we did it. Um, and we were able to do it, um, with just Eric and I and no partners. Wow. Uh, and, and no debt. So how many hours are you putting in in the, in the beginning and, and throughout all this? Um, yeah, quite a bit. And um, I, I had a day job at the time too, but I didn't, I didn't have kids until 
Yeah, I did have a kid in 2014. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I've, uh, I've learned that I can, um, some things I'm just not good at doing. So we have a, um, consultant we use for compliance. So you spend up spending a lot of your time on that, which is really dull and not f
you guys are making this fantastic wine, but I, I feel like it's almost just as important to you to let the people know, like, drink it whenever and with whatever, but this will really complement it. Like, a lot of our our wines usually have a profile that's, like, real fresh fruit and um, mm-hmm. and bright and, and sassy. And um, <laughs> I think that always pairs well with grilled food. Um, things that are lighter fare, grilled stuff of char. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely our reds and also our rosés will go that way. Um, but anything that's bright and light and fresh, I think is, is what goes best with our wines. And um, a lot of wineries have like their dream is to be in all the Michelin three-star restaurants, but really our restaurant, our our uh, ambitions are to be in all the best pizza restaurants, <laughs> which is not like a traditional place where people drink um, beer. Uh, they drink beer, but they don't generally drink wine. So, mm-hmm. but the pizza world is changing, and wine is becoming a big part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, there's just such a food and drink renaissance. I feel like going on i mean has been going on but even in the uh i mean in the beer world as well but just a lot of cities are just trying to you know like elevate their game and so i've definitely been seeing that with pizza too and i live in jersey city and here we've got oh you do yeah or or rosé's at Ratza. yeah yeah i've had it there before and there's even a liquor store that opened up in my neighborhood that's now carrying your rosé i just saw that on instagram the other day sweet yeah yeah. yeah, it's so exciting. But that's, I mean, like you said, that's what's pizza game, like the, not just the Neapolitan style, but that definitely has become pretty, pretty popular. Um, and I, I love, like I said, the drinking your glue glue with it. That's fantastic. I know you guys recommend uh, sweet berry to go with barbecue. And whenever I cook ribs, I'm like, I want a bottle of sweet berry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read in one interview you were talking and you, and you've used the word a few times and I, I like it. You, you, you mentioned tribe. And in this one interview, you, you were saying how winemakers can be tribal. Can we talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. I mean, everybody's kind of tribal these days, but, um, oh, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, there can be a tribalism in, in the natural wine scene. Like um, some people are very militant about how things, how they want wine to be. And um, we really, we really don't have a dog in that fight. And um, Mm -hmm. what we do is um, we, we just give people the information on our website, on our, in our, um, uh, our tech sheets that have like just all the details about the winemaking on our wines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because uh, I, I feel like, you know, our, our goal is, I mean, our, our role is producers, wine producers, and it's really the, the wine writers and the Psalms and the wine lovers. They, they are the ones that kind of explain wine to us because <laughs> we, we see it a lot differently. We have a, we have a different um, way of looking at wine. Our role is like, is, is really, I mean, our lives are so embedded in the wines that we make and and um it's uh it's it's also fun though because um we make these wines and and we know what we think about them and we finish them put them in the bottle and then release them and it's really exciting to see what people think about them and and all that and what they say about them mm-hmm. yeah so i i look at vivino all the time and uh, I think it's really interesting to see people's perspectives on the wines. And also, it's, it's, we're in a new world now where, uh, it, like where wine ratings are crowdsourced instead of anointing some lawyer from, uh, from Maryland, the god of wine ratings, and <laughs> where things will fail <laughs> or, <laughs> or, become, or become like the most thought after thing on earth just because one because this guy says something about it it's like mm-hmm. we're we're in a we're in a great time right now 
That's that's great to hear. I mean, how how have you been doing? I mean, you you yourself and your family, and then uh, less RS with like just during the pandemic. It's been tough because uh, we I have two small kids. Mm-hmm. So, and my wife, she's a essential worker. She's a uh, veterinarian, and uh, we are just so I'm I'm really having to spend most of my time watching the kids and trying to do my work. And it, it's really tough because um, kids, they require a lot of attention and especially mine. <laughs> but uh, but it's also, you also learn some other things about the parent-children relationship, which is, is interesting. It's just that um, parents don't have a lot of, of authority with kids because mm-hmm. they are so, they're, they're so tight we're so tight that um, it's really hard to um, to be an authority figure. It's almost like they need an outside person, like a teacher that they can respect to, um, uh, to, to put them in line. So, I mean, one thing, one tool I used to always use is I would always like for Cezanne, my uh, five-year-old that I was going to, I'm going to tell your teacher (laughs) (laughs) that always put, put her straight into line. (laughs) <laughs> but uh <laughs> but it's it's fun um I was spending a lot of time with my uh my 3 year old and on games and puzzles and things like that and that's mm-hmm. that's so much fun especially without the 5 year old around because um usually the the 5 year old is so much bossier bossy <laughs> over the 3 year old that it's it makes <laughs> Makes her is her makes her difficult for her to come out of her shell. You know what I mean. Are you guys uh, like where where you what have you been eating during all this? Are you guys are you cooking together? Do they have an interest in that? As far you know, I mean, kids obviously can, can yeah picky sometimes. Yeah, so um, we cook a lot. Um, we've always cooked a lot, but we've um, part of uh, this. What I did in this um, quarantine is is. Um, learn how to to make good levon dough pizza i'd always kind of struggled with it because um levon dough is is uh it it requires a different rhythm so i i had been doing pizza for years with um levon added to with uh with yeast Mm -hmm. so um kind of like you would uh adding a poolish or a uh, a biga instead of that adding Levon. But um, I really got it dialed in now. Like the, the, the doughs I had made before, they were usually retarded in the refrigerator for 24 hours or 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just doing um, Levon dough pizza, just started up, started up the dough in the morning. And but by the time it's like ready to cook it, it's like, it's banging. And um, I'm using higher hydration so the dough is really nice and airy and and delicious and yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty cool <laughs> and so i've been um i've been doing i've been doing um detroit style pizza for a while yeah yeah but yeah, but, but now that, that i'm doing pure levon like this the dough is really airy and very light so uh-huh. it ends up being like in the middle about 2 inches thick and just oh, like wow. super airy and super light and it's like devourable (laughs) (laughs) so does it end up being closer i don't i don't really know much about that dough is it like is it getting similar to like a even just like a focaccia style in a way just like yeah so it's like a um um some um focaccias are 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 pretty thin and yeah retarded but this is but this is like pretty um pretty thick pretty thick stuff but um I guess it's like supposed to be like um like a Sicilian style. Oh yeah, okay. um, pizza. But uh, De- Detroit's a really interesting pizza because it's uh, you got this really light dough that is very light, mm-hmm. and you have um, this. You're supposed to put brick, brick cheese, which we can't get here, so I use um, I use all sorts of buttery cheeses. Um, like the classic is Havarti, or sometimes I use. Um, Italian Asiago, and then um, that's so that's on the top, and then for the uh, frico, the the charred cheese that's on the corners, you mm-hmm. stack that with sharp white cheddar, and 
Um, then on top, you put um, sauce. After it cooks, you put warm sauce on there. Mm-hmm. So it's you have this really punchy sauce on top, and you got the crunch of the the sharp cheddar frico, and then this butteriness on top of this really light dough. It's just like something you look at a Detroit pizza and you think it's going to be like a gut buster, but it's really light and delicious. Yeah, I feel like as far as styles of pizza go, it's popping up more and more. Like it's, def- it's definitely becoming more popular. It was always, you know, I mean, you had your New York style and then you had your Chicago, you had your deep dish. And then I didn't know about really Detroit style until maybe like five five years ago or so? Yeah, so um, what happened is um, Tony from Tony's Pizza Napolitana, um, he won the World Pizza Challenge uh, a while back with a Detroit style. And I think it, I think it really like blew people's minds. And then he had a, he did, he does a Detroit style at his, um, at his restaurant in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And it is insane. And that's where I first had it um, maybe, ten, maybe 10 years ago. And um, I've had also had um, Detroit style buddies, which is way different. Um, it's not as not as gourmet. That's let's just put it that way. And uh, I've had for quads as well, which was good. But yeah, Tony's is just really insane. And I've been to Apollonia in L.A., which um, they do a Detroit style, but they don't use they use mozzarella instead of the Detroit style cheeses, so it's mm-hmm. different. But it's really amazing what they're doing as well. But there's a, a pan pizza has always been one of those things that people have thought that um, uh, kind of thought is is not like a real pizza or not to be taken seriously. But it's definitely serious. It's um, and um, whenever anybody wants to do pizza at home, like the first thing they do is they build a a wood fired pizza oven or something like that. But mm-hmm. what you need is a really, really good go- dough, and your your home oven is fine. And you can do, and um, especially with pan pizzas, the home oven is just perfect for it. I'm gonna have to give it a go. I've never actually never tried. Got to do it. Yeah. You got to get pans from Lloyd Pans. They're the best. Lloyd Pans. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. Gotta try that out. Um, the pan and, makes a big difference. Yeah. And so with. Uh, Lazarus, like just with everything going on, have you guys seen? Have you had to make adjustments or? Yeah, so this year we had gone, we went big on glue glue, and mm-hmm. last year we went pretty big on sweetberry wine, um, trying to make because um, when you have wines in restaurants, it's really difficult if you have out of stock issues, mm-hmm. so you can't have like small quantities of something because. Um, uh, it'll be on the list for like a couple weeks and then they won't be able to get it and they'll say, oh shit, I got to switch to a different wine. So we really want to have uh, some wines uh, with some reach across the country. And so we had, we had made um, more uh, sweetberry wine and uh, glue glue for that. So with uh, COVID, all of the dis- distribution business just ground to a halt which is yeah. really scary because we have all this volume um, that we need to find a home for and there's no restaurants. So, um, but we're, we're not, we're not that worried. We, we know, we know the restaurants are going to bounce back and, um, and um, when they are, we hope <laughs> they choose, uh, <laughs> they choose some of our wines cause they're really good. But um, yeah, but yeah, one of the things is like we we grew production on them, but the quality is like even better than they were before, and that's that's really what we're all about is um, just really conceptualizing each wine we want to make and figuring out how to make that wine so it's absolutely delicious, and then um, we stick to the plan to make the wine really good. We're not we're not into that like you know the there's a big thing like the. Um, science and science experiment type wines. <laughs> so we think that those are kind of boring. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, wine's got to be drinkable and not poured down the drain. So that's, <laughs> that's what we're all about. Well, you definitely make some drinkable wine. Is is there is there a, one in particular, or even like a vintage of yours that you're just just so like it's your favorite and just 
over the top are, are utterly proud of. Yeah. So the, um, the, uh, Chenin Blanc we made, um, we are so excited about it. It's, it's, it's really, uh, um, exactly. I mean, it's our first, uh, it was actually our second white wine we released. We re- released the Trousseau Gris before that, but the, the Chenin is, is really what we look for in a, in a Chenin Blanc. It's really mineral and, um, and just absolutely delicious. And it doesn't have, there's, there's some, um, sometimes Shannon will take on a waxy quality in like linalool and wet wool kind of aromas. Um, this is not that kind of Shannon. It's very mm-hmm. mineral and very fresh. And it's actually the way we made the wine. I was so scared of it picking up these oxidative aromas that, um, um, I think I was maybe a little bit too reductive on the winemaking and actually we've been decanting it now and it really uh-huh. like, it wakes it up. It's kind of a little bit shut down when you pour a glass and you're like, there's not much going on here. And, but if you decant it really quickly, it really, um, blooms this, uh, the mineral qualities and makes it extra delicious. We, I noticed this like right when we bottled the wine, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then um, it shut down like a couple weeks after that for several months. And um, and so what I uh, so what happened there is it saw a little bit of oxygen in bottling as wines always do, mm-hmm. which made it bloom. And then as it sat in the bottle, though it, it reduced itself and, um, and and got got all tied up. So then by giving it a quick decant you uh you just kind of wake it up with that little bit of oxygen um so that wine we think is really special and also so probably 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 my favorite wine is the uh carignan which Mm -hmm. is always made from the same single block of old vine carignan it is like so spicy and sexy and (laughs) but it's it's um but it's the 2018 is very special because on the palate it's very light and um and delicious and it doesn't have a heaviness at all so it's got all these really um intense aromas and very bright fruit and you think it's going to be a little bit heavier and maybe a little bit coarse on the palate but it's like um really has a has a suaveness on the palate that's uh it's really delicious yeah and i i love the label for that one too i yes uh, one <laughs> um and like you said it's perfect a per- perfect label for uh for what you call it you know like a, a sexy wine yeah uh, totally and i remember i you know i had a couple of the uh, 2016 bottles of those uh i'm gonna have to i i know i can order more of those you, you guys are uh i gotta find a store that's carrying the shenan because i see you're sold out of that yeah actually the carignan's all sold out as well um yeah the 16 was um we had i changed the wine making up a little bit the 16 was like really really good and very intense but it needed like 10 years to age so uh i was i was doing 50 percent whole cluster on it in on in 16 and 17 and in 2018 i started just doing i just stemmed it and um it makes the wine a lot lighter um light lighter in texture which has been really good do you have any recommendations for someone like me or just people that are just early on into or you know getting into wine or just don't have a lot of knowledge about it is there any i don't know i mean have you ever seen like a documentary or is your just your best advice to go out there and taste it and you know all that um well when i learned i learned through books mm-hmm. um I kind of have a classic wine appreciation background and also from, from tastings, you learn a lot that way, but, but mainly from books and, and I, I collect old wine books. I think they're really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we come like wine these days is, is a lot different than it used to be. Like uh, every all, wines were very distinct to their place um, and variety uh, back then, back when, but things have already, like, in the past 20, 30 years, have taken on an international style where they're like, I mean, 
peanut water tastes like Cabernet now. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's um, yeah, so it's always interesting to see the old perspectives um, of like what people thought of wine and also the way people cared for wine. Like um, in some of those um, old um, uh, Schoonmaker uh, books, I mean, you talk about the the trip from the wine of the wine from the cellar to the table it takes like a week. You have to be so gentle with it and everything. I think that's so cool. That's awesome. And um, I mean, I think the reading, learning about wine from like blogs and and um, from opinion mm-hmm. is um, is is kind of does a disservice. It's just much better to just sit with. You should everybody should have a copy of the. Oxford Companion to Wine, and also um, uh, the the Wine Atlas, and um, just kind of when you're when you pick up some wines, pick up something, talk to your your wine shop, and mm-hmm. and try to get something that's kind of reference level for a reference point for some some wine, and then just sit with your book and and um, and read about it and learn about it um, like that way you could do it kind of ad hoc, which is a, a really good way to go. I'm definitely going to pick up those books. That's uh, that's something that, like I said, like it was about five, six years ago that um, you know there's a all the bunch of wineries, vineyards out on the North Fork of Long Island, and mm-hmm. now they're much better for their their whites and their rosés just because of you know how summer water. <laughs> and when I went out there, I, I I would I went up you know to to the counter and I, I and I asked him I said or I, I told them I was just like I know n- nothing and I was like I don't know what I like I've tried stuff when I was younger and I didn't particularly like it and they just they brought me out a, ros- a rosé and they said you know from from here we're just gonna you know go down the line and just see see what you like and I definitely lean more red and rosé but there's I mean uh you know wh- whites are something that I want to get more into as well yeah um yeah, it's just tasting as much as possible. And it's always good to to taste for free as well. <laughs> Nothing um, wrong with that. It, uh, yeah, that's like the the number one way to learn a lot about wine really fast is to taste for free. So mm-hmm. whenever there's any kind of like – so um, you got some credentials there with your uh, uh, foodie films, media. You can go to all of these tastings um, from distributors and things and kind of mill about and taste and – and you're you're talking to like people that are super nerdy into their profession, so it's yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's a good way to learn as well. Yeah, hopefully once we get back to some uh, normalcy, maybe mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely start doing that. But uh, well, it wouldn't be foodie films without co- talking a couple of food scenes. I had you send me some of your favorite films, and I I I love all the options that you gave me from the graduate to Apocalypse Now. But I I just I kind of wanted to talk some of the sillier movies so um let's let's start with fargo now it's you know not silly but it's definitely (laughs) a dark comedy and Uh i just love i'm just gonna play a little clip of the uh of the pancake scene right now Uh where's pancakes house what we stop at pancakes house what are you nuts we have pancakes for breakfast Gotta go to a place where I can get a shot and a beer and steak, maybe. Not more fucking pancakes. Come on. Oh, come on, man. Okay, here's an idea. We can stop outside of Brainerd. I know a place there we can get laid. What do you think? I'm fucking hungry now, you know. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. I'm saying we can stop, get pancakes, and then we'll get laid, all right? So <laughs> I love just in that, like, I mean, it's a ridiculous movie. And what's, oh, God, I, I, I even looked up the scene before. What's the guy's name, the Japanese guy's name that he that she meets up with? It's, um, uh, oh, it. Mike Yanagita. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's that scene, but that pancake scene is yeah. so good. When it's just uh, the two of them driving out there, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere. And, I mean, where where is Pancake's house? Just, <laughs> that man wants his pancakes. <laughs> uh, That's so good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, when it came to Fargo, I mean, when did did you see it? Like when it came out, or um, I maybe saw it a little bit later, and then um, it's just uh, um, just that just that approach to the to the movie is just really fascinating. Where it's like um, the dark comedy bits with like extreme gore and um, and uh, just it is very ridiculous. Yeah, and then then also the series is just so good as well, and they're able to recapture that magic in the series. Yeah, I That's maybe more serious, but yeah, I was re- I was pleasantly surprised with that. I definitely tend to be a pessimist when it comes to remakes or reboots and stuff like that, but that series definitely didn't disappoint. And uh, and the same thing with uh, actually one of my favorite films of all time, High Fidelity. They mm-hmm. did a show. On Hulu. Yeah, it's a good. It's really, yeah, it's re- it's oh, really it yeah, it's worth checking out, and it's kind of cool because it's a uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz is in yeah. it. And, you know, I mean, there's no there's no actual. It's not like she's supposed to be the daughter of you know how her mom was in the original, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, now they do a really good job with that show, ex- expanding it to be able to be able to make uh you know ten ep- ten episodes out of it. But, yeah. But boy, yeah, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare in that in that scene, and just you know, like Steve Buscemi just going, <laughs> "I want to get a drink," and then he's like, "Okay, well, we'll get pancakes, and I know a place to get laid." <laughs> just such, <laughs> like, the, yeah, just the juxtaposition of that scene to then, I mean, well, then not the brutal violence later of Peter Stormare just like holding what is it, like Buscemi's arm or leg in the you know, in the which right? Oh, that movie's just so good. I, so was, good. Yeah, and then this is more. This falls definitely more into the silly category. Three Amigos. Yes. So that is. I mean, I watched that movie probably a million times, and um, I actually ended up buying it on DVD. And um, my my kids love it as well. And, oh, that's uh, such the perfect like family. Film. <laughs> just so silly, slapsticky. It's just uh, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, and um, yeah, Steve Martin and um, and uh, Chevy Chase and uh, um, Martin um, Short. Martin Short. They're just so good together. And it's really, um, it's it's. Uh, they were so prolific in when I was growing up, and um, it's just, uh, it's it's really cool to see something something like that. That's uh, um, there's just so much vibe in there. And it's just, yeah, it's just perfect. I mean, they're just three iconic comedians and to see them, you know, teaming up with one another. And as far as even some, you know, some random food scenes that take place in it, just Chevy Chase, you know, the woman being like, oh, we're, you know, I'm so honored to have you in my house. And he's just having such a difficult time with the tortilla. and she's just being so polite and they're there you know they all think that they're these legitimate gunslingers and coming to save them and oh we're so honored to have you in our house and he just looks and says uh do you have anything besides mexican food (laughs) (laughs) or also the uh when they go into the bar and they ask for beer Beer. he says we don't have beer we have tequila it's like beer (laughs) well so long as we've got some time to kill, I think I'll have a beer. We don't have no beer, just tequila. What, what's tequila? Yeah, it's like beer. Is it fattening? Fattening? Forget it. If it's like beer, we'll have some. Three tequilas. Sure, sure, amigos. Enjoy yourselves. But try not to get into too much troubles, okay? <laughs> Martin Short says in the most, like naive and just yeah. like innocent way he just goes what's tequila like just <laughs> <laughs> and then i forget one of them i think maybe chevy chase says like is it fattening is it fattening like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a good i i i love always thinking about um movies that are commenting on like the film industry like i love ed wood that's one of my favorite movies uh-huh. And so that that definitely falls into that category of I mean just just commenting on these like above and I mean I think it's a pretty it's a great film to watch now and just with all the I mean people that just think that they deserve so much without <laughs> with doing very little out there and just uh-huh. uh, 
way, yeah, the way that their their entitlement in that movie and the way they play it so straight, but then it's just so straight, like straight in comparison that it just becomes silly and over the top, and them singing around the fire and uh, was El Guapo. It's a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Would you uh, say I have a plethora of piñatas? <laughs> That really, that's, oh boy, that I, I would, I think I watched that with my family when I was a kid. I mean, that was one of the earlier for me, an introduction to, to those three guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that, that always, that's a movie. I gotta, I, I gotta buy that on Blu-ray or something. I haven't watched in a while. Watching those scenes, just, I was, I was cracking up and my girlfriend was just looking at me like I'm an idiot, but that's okay. Chevy <laughs> Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. It's <laughs> a classic. It is. It really is. And it was uh, John Landis as well was the uh, director. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, t- yeah. Talk. I mean, then you got three uh, uh, like prolific comedic actors, and then one of the most like I mean, gifted comedic directors. That's just yeah. uh, what a perfect team up of that film is. Yeah. Um, well, last, last but not least, just a little quick uh, speed round. It's called Gut Instinct, so it's just uh, like about 15 questions and just whatever comes to you first. <laughs> okay. Favorite fast food? French fries. Does that yeah. be specific? <laughs> I, mean, if you, I mean, some people get very religious about it. Like, are we talking McDonald's? Are we talking... Oh, man. Uh, you know... Um, I think who makes the best French fries on earth is the chili cheese fries from Amy's drive through You know, Amy's the frozen food company. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're local, and they have a they have a um, um, they have a vegetarian. I'm vegetarian, by the way. Um, they have a vegetarian um, um, fast food place. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Go to alcoholic beverage. I like uh, a I like a slutty IPA myself actually. <laughs> a slutty IPA, that's a good description. Yeah. Well, not too slutty. I like them 6% alcohol or lower. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, give me a Firestone Luponic Distortion and I'm happy. Nice. Favorite childhood snack? That would be Cool Ranch Doritos. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Classic. Sweet or savory? Uh, savory. Favorite food city, uh, domestic and international? New Orleans. Oh, yeah. That's, that's my, I get a lot of people answer that, but I have no argument with that because that is my end-all be-all favorite. Favorite cuisine? <sighs> uh, be, it's tough between like Greek Mediterranean and Japanese. Mm. Probably Greek Mediterranean. Guilty pleasure food is, is is pizza a guilty pleasure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> Favorite condiment is um, hot sauce. I so I like really really hot sauce. Okay, like, yeah. uh, but each um, each cuisine has a different hot sauce. So like a, like my wife will put tapatio on everything, <laughs> but. Tapatio only goes on Mexican food, and sriracha only goes on um, on uh, Asian food, mm-hmm. um, like specifically like um, Thai or Vietnamese. Um, but uh, I um, I really like uh, Dave's Insanity Sauce on my Mexican food because it's like it's just pure heat, but it doesn't have as much flavor. I think as like um, Tapatio. Mm-hmm. And uh, like on um, stuff that's fatty, I like uh, um, crystal, and then oh yeah, Calabrian chili on my pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so you have an extensive hot sauce collection. Oh yeah, we have we have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What's the last thing you ate? Last thing I ate, I ate a I had a tofurkey sandwich for lunch today. Oh, any condiments on that? I had um, Dijon mustard, mayo, arugula, Ooh. heirloom tomato on w- sliced wheat. I always make the biggest mistake of not eating before recording these episodes. <laughs> and I have to learn from that. I just have to, 
but I think it would be an annoying sound if I was just like munching on something right now. So, <laughs> uh, what what would be your last meal? Oh, man, that's a good question. That is a good question. I guess maybe some homemade pizza. Mm-hmm. Nice. Dine in or dine out? Dine in. What would be your spirit food or spirit drink, perhaps? Um, my spirit drink is uh, white burgundy. It informs like so much of like how I look about look at wine. Just, just um, I love wine all about nerve. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite movie snack? Popcorn. I like to make uh, homemade popcorn. Ooh, nice Heir- heirloom corn, heirloom popcorn, popping corn. Mm-hmm. Cooked in avocado butter with melted butter on top and with um and vaudevon. Oh boy, that's I, I like that. Yeah. That's a that's a good answer. <laughs> the kid the kids love it too. And last but not least, a great if not the greatest lesson you've learned when it comes to food. Um well I guess it would be balance and um that's where I, I learned balance in food before I learned balance in winemaking. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, every winemaker says they want to make balanced wines. <laughs> uh, and a lot of those wines are, I mean, I mean, if you ask uh, Joe Wagner, if he wants to make what he, what kind of wines he wants to make, I'm sure he'd say balanced wines. Um, but, uh, but I really, um, I, I really, take it to heart and try to um i know um wine wine is all about um fashion it changes with time Mm -hmm. and it should and um and balance will probably make little shifts during that time as well but um but um that's that's uh that's what i uh really have learned from food into wine yeah well, Joel, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This is uh, this has been awesome. I, you know, I've been looking forward to talking to you for some time. You were definitely a, a dream guest. Meeting you, uh, you know, a couple of years ago and getting you on here, and you've you've helped me understand wine a bit more. And you're I've, you're definitely pointing me in the right direction. And I'm gonna maybe I'll have you on again sometime, and we'll you you can quiz me about some things. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, just, uh, right now, if you um, if you want to just say you know where people can follow you guys and anything like that, promote yourself in any way. Yeah, so we're on Instagram at at Las Harris Wines, L A S J A R A S W Y N E S, and our website is lasharriswines dot com, and uh, my Instagram handle is at Mister Brute, B R U T. And uh, last but not least, we have a little catchphrase to end every episode. It's something my grandmother always says. It's there's more to cut. So if you don't mind saying that to the foodies out there, there's more to cut. Awesome. Thank you so much for your health, (laughs) (laughs) for your wine, (laughs) for your wine.